Section 8 of 11 Possible Cases by Various. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Monty Spinero. 11 Possible Cases by Various. Section 8. A Lion and a Lioness by Joaquin Miller. Chapter 4. I half arose and felt for my trusty six-shooter. This pistol was not one that had been purchased for this or any other occasion, as the worthless pistols of the time are usually purchased, but it had been my companion from boyhood. As I half arose, the lion suddenly halted. He lifted his proud head higher still in the air, and to my consternation, half turned about and looked straight in my direction. Then a sideways and circuitous step or two with his long reach of hinder leg, his wide and deep and flexible flank, slow and kingly, splendid to see. I sank down again, quite willing to let him interview the land of Arabs in the black chasm below. They had spears and guns and everything down there, everything but courage to face a lion with, and I was not going to interfere with a fight which at the first had promised to be entirely their own. But this new movement of mine only accentuated his graceful motion. The head now turned in the air like the head of a man. I had time to note, and I recorded with clarity, that the massive head and the tumbled mane towered straight above the shoulder. In fact, the lower part of the long mane looked most like the long shaggy beard of a man falling down upon his broad breast. This I noted as he still kept on his sideways circuit above us and around us on the yellow sand and under the yellow moon. At times he was almost indistinct, but the carriage of that head, there was a fine fascination in the lift and the movement and the turn of that stately head that must ever be remembered, but can never be described. As he came nearer, for his sideways walk was mainly in our direction, I saw that he, too, was yellow, as if born of this yellow world in this yellow night. But he was a more ponderous yellow, the yellow of red and rusty old gold. At times, he seemed almost black, and all the time terrible. In half a minute more he would be too close for comfort. I decided to arouse my companion. She wakened fully awake, if I may be allowed to express a fact so awkwardly. You know that there are people like that. What is it? A lion. Are you sure? Certain. Where? Right before your eyes. Why, I see nothing. 
She had looked and was still looking far out against the yellow horizon where her eyes had rested when she fell asleep. And as she looked, or rather before I ventured to point her to the spot almost under the tomb where the lion strode, he passed on and was by this time perhaps almost quite under the great slab of granite where we rested. I was about to whisper the fact in her ear when I fancied I felt the whole tomb tremble. Then it seemed to shake, or rather rumble again. Then again it rumbled. Then again. Then there was a roar that literally shook the sand. I heard the sand sift and rattle down like drops of rain from where it lay in the crevices as I listened to find whether or not he was moving forward toward the place by which we had ascended. He was surely moving forward. I felt rather than heard him move. I assert, and I must content myself for the present but with merely asserting, that you can feel the movements of an animal under any circumstances. And I assert further that an animal, especially a wild beast, can feel your movement under almost any circumstances. The undeveloped senses deserve a book by themselves. But just now, with the largest lion I ever saw coming straight upon me, is hardly the time or place to write such a treatise. Pistol in hand, I sprang to the steep and rugged passage, and not a second too soon. His mighty head was almost on a level with the granite slab, and he was half crouching for a bound and a spring upward, which would perhaps land him in our faces. I could see, or did I feel, that his huge hinder feet were spread wide out and sunken in the sand, with preparation to bend all their force toward bearing him upward in one mighty bound. I fired, fired right into his big red mouth, between two hideous pickets of ugly yellow teeth. He fell back, and then, gathering his ferocious strength, he bounded up and forward again, this time striking his left shoulder heavily against a projecting corner of the granite slab, Fortunately, the ascent was slightly curving, so that the distance could not be made at a single bound without collision, else had we both surely been destroyed. Again, the supple and comely beast, disdained to creep or crawl, made a mighty leap forward, but only to strike the rounding corner of the great granite slab and fall back as before. But I knew he would reach us in time, and if ever man did wish for fitting arms to fight with and defend woman, it was I at that time. True, I had five shots left, but what were they in the face of this furious king of beasts? I began to fear that they would only serve to enrage him. Still, he should have all I had to give. Death is, has been, and will be. The best we can make of it all is to try and see that we shall not die ingloriously. The woman had been at my side all this time, and now, 
as the lion paused as if it gathered up the broken thunderbolts of his strength she laid a hand on my arm never so gently and said let me go down and meet him face to face i think he will not harm me madame i exclaimed impetuously you will meet him up here and face to face soon enough i think no that will not do you must trust the lion as daniel did i pushed her back as she tried to pass down almost violently there i cried as i wheeled about and forced her before me for an instant if you have real courage leap to the head yonder column then on to the next quick be brave enough to save yourself and no i will not run away and leave you to die for god's sake you will run away and save me why how i will join you there go quick or it will be too late another leap of the lion bang bang this time he did not fall back but held on by sheer force of his powerful arms his terrible claws tearing at the granite slab as they hung and hooked over the outer edge bang 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 the last shot i hurled my revolver in his face for he had not flinched or given back a single grain his breath and my breath were mingled there in the smoke of my pistol i heard or did i feel his great hinder feet fastening in the steep earth under him for his final surge to the top i turned saw that she had reached the farther column and with a three leaps and a bound i had crossed the granite slabs and stood erect on the nearer one not a moment had i left the lion with great noise of claws on the granite came tearing to the surface i crouched down out of breath on the outer edge of my column so as to be surely out of reach of his ponderous paws i expected him to decide the matter at once to reach us or to give up instantly but he seemed in no haste now he scarcely advanced at all for what seemed to me to be a long time finally jerking his tail like the swift movement of a serpent he strode along the farthest edge of the granite slab and seemed to take no notice of us whatever blood was dripping from his mouth but he did not seem to heed it once more he strode his old majesty and seemed ashamed that he should have descended in the indignity of a struggle to gain the place where he now stood sullen and triumphant enraged he was choked dying with rage and yet the kingly creature would not even condescend to look in our direction why i could feel his fearful rage as he now walked on and around the edge of the granite slab at length he came opposite to where i lay crouching on the farthest edge of my column he passed on without so much as turning his eyes in my direction and yet i felt i felt anew as distinctly as if he could have talked to me and told me that he was carefully measuring the distance when the lion in his stately round 
came to the narrow pass by which he had ascended, he paused an instant and half lowered his head. Ah, how devoutly did I pray that he would be generous enough to descend to the sand and gracefully present us with his absence. But no, lifting his huge head even higher in the air than before, he now passed on hurriedly, came on around to where in his stately majesty he stood with quivering flank and flashing eyes almost within reach of me. Yet he still disdained to even so much as look at me. His head was far above me as I crouched there on the farthest edge of my column. His flashing eyes were lifted and looking far above and beyond me. Maybe he was on the lookout over the desert for the coming of his companion. Soon, however, he set his huge paws on the very edge of the great slab on which he stood, then suddenly threw his right paw out toward me and against the edge of my column with the force and velocity of a catapult. I heard the sharp, keen claws strike and scrape the granite as if they had been hooks of steel. Then he threw himself on his breast and hitched himself a little to one side. He threw his right paw so far it landed full in the center of my column, atop and tore a bit of my coat sleeve. Then he hitched his huge body a little farther on over the edge and again threw his huge paw right at my face. It fell short of its mark, only a few inches, as it seemed to me. But having hastily gathered in my garments, his claw did not find anything to fasten on, and they drew back empty. At this point, three dusty etchings stood out against the golden east on the yellow sands, and looked intently at us with their enormous heads high in the air, and now the beast slowly arose and moved on. A lion's head seemed always disproportionately large, but when he is exercising for an appetite to eat you, it looks large indeed. The monster who was occupying the platform with us surely saw his followers. Indeed, he must have seen them long before. But his unbending dignity seemed to forbid that he should take any heed of them. The newborn hope that he would descend and join his followers died as he came on around. And now something strange and notable transpired. This one incident is my excuse for thus elaborating this otherwise passive and tediously dull sketch of this night. I had risen to my feet as the lion came on around, this woman, with a force that was irresistible, sprang to my side, thrust me behind her, and stepped forward with a single spring. She stood on the edge of the column nearest to the lion. I would have followed, but that same force, which I can now understand was a mental force and not at all a physical force, held me hard and fast to where I stood. 
She had let her robe fall as she sprang forward and now stood only as the hand of God had fashioned her, a snow-white silhouette of perfect comeliness against the terrible and bloody mouth and tossing mane of the lion. She leaned forward as he came on around and close to the edge of his slab. She looked him firmly and steadily in the face, her wondrous eyes, her midnight eyes of all Israel. The child of the wilderness had once more met the lion of the desert as of old. Who was this woman here who stepped between death and me and stood looking a wounded lion in the face? Was this Judith again incarnate? Or was this something more than Judith? Was it the priestess of the prophetess Miriam, back once more to the banks of the Nile? Was it the old and forgotten mastery of all things animate which Moses and his sister knew that gave her domain over the king of the desert? Or was her name Mary, that old Mary, if you will, who won all things to her side, God in heaven, God upon earth, by the sad, sweet piety of her face, and the story of the holy love that was written there? The lion's head for a moment forgot its lofty defiance as she leaned a little forward. Then the tossed and troubled mane rose up and rolled forward like an inflowing sea. It never seemed so terrible. He was surely about to spring, and she too. Her right foot settled solidly back, and her left knee bent like a bow, and her shapely and snowy shoulders, under their glory of black hair, bowed low. Her dauntless and defiant spirit had already precipitated itself forward and was smitting the impetuous beast full in his blazing eyes. I knew that her body would follow her spirit in an instant more. Face to face, spirit to spirit, soul to soul, a second only the combat lasted. The awful ferocity and force of the brute was beaten down, melted, like a lofty battlement of snow before burning arrows of the sun, and he slowly, surlily, shrank in size, in spirit, in space. A paw drew back from the edge of the block. The eyes drooped. The head dropped a little, and the terrible mane seemed terrible no more, as slowly doggedly, mightily, I doggedly and majestically, too. At the same time, this noble creature forced himself sideways and back a little. Then he hesitated. Rebellion was in his mighty heart. He turned suddenly and looked her full in the face once more. All the beast that was in him rose up. The terrible mane now seemed more terrible than before. With great head tossed, tail whipped back, and teeth in the air, talons unsheathed, 
and legs gathered under him. He was about to bound forward. But the woman was before him, with eyes still fastened on his face. She, with one long leap forward, drove not only her shining soul, but her snowy body right against his teeth. Or rather, she had surely done so had the lion, half turned about, shrank back as she leaped forward. Then, slowly, looking back with his blazing but cowering eyes, feeling back his spirit still defiant, but if to see whether her courage failed her in the least, or her mighty spirit was still in battle armor, and then he passed. His companions had drawn back and into a depression in the desert where he slowly and sullenly joined them. One, two, three, four dim yet distinct black silhouettes against the yellow east then but a single confused black etching away away smaller and smaller gone i gathered her robe crossed over and letting it fall on her shoulders where she still stood looked down and after the beast I picked up my pistol from where it had fallen, a few feet below, and as she turned about, carefully reloaded it from cartridges by chance in my vest pocket. Returning to the summit, I found her resting on her couch at the corner of the huge slab, tranquilly as if we had not been disturbed. I did not speak not a single word had been uttered at this time i sat down at the feet of this woman not at her side as before and let my own feet dangle down over the edge on the side farthest away from the isolated columns neither of us spoke nor did she move hand or foot till morning end of section eight Recorded by Monty Spinero.